With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Good morning, this is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo in for Smithy right through till Christmas. Smithy now uh, part of the, the Fox Sports coverage of uh, Australia versus the Windies Test Series over in Oz, so uh, we'll hear from him hopefully uh, between now and Christmas, but uh, otherwise you've got me through until Christmas. Uh, good to be back in the chair and uh, it was good to have Smithy back uh, briefly, uh, but I uh, hope he goes well and look forward to hearing his call over there. Coming up on the show today, we're going to catch up shortly with Ben Ransom who works for Sky Sports in the UK. He has been the busiest man in Manchester uh, over the over the last 24 hours. He's been having to file stories on the Glazers selling the Manchester United, on Pep re-signing for Manchester City, and on Ronaldo getting sacked. So he's doing all that and keeping an eye on the World Cup. He is going to join us shortly. Uh, we're also going to catch up with Te Wera Bishop uh, from the New Zealand Black Sox. Uh, he's a catcher there. The Softball World Cup begins in Auckland this weekend. Hopefully the weather sorts itself out. And uh, we'll talk to him about that and uh, what the team is looking for there. Uh, Simon Hampton joins us after 10 o'clock from the 3rd and 5 podcast. It's Thanksgiving in uh, the US tomorrow. There's going to be three NFL games on the slate. We'll get his take on those. Plus... Do the Americans care about the FIFA World Cup? It is the USA versus England coming up this weekend. I think Saturday morning, New Zealand time. Uh, we'll find out from the hamster who, of course, is based in New York. Nikki Styrus and Graham Beasley are going to join us on the panel today. Actually, uh, Nikki Styrus, uh, famous for her trampolining escapades, uh, will we'll also uh, may, maybe ask her about Dylan Schmidt and uh, what he is doing. We've got a Harness Racing New Zealand pacing for purpose as well, a tip to give you uh, before 11 o'clock. Louis Herman Watt's going to jump in with a Love Racing update as well. And former 
all-white and SENZ football commentator David Choate joins us after 11. He's currently calling Belgium versus Canada for us. Uh, you can catch that on the app. Uh, we'll get his take on the World Cup so far. And after Costa Rica got spanked 7-0 by Spain this morning... Would the All-Whites have done better than the Costa Ricans? We'll ask David Choke that after 11 o'clock. Right now, though, we head to Manchester to catch up with the busiest man in Manchester. Thanks so much for your time, Ben Ransom. You probably had, uh, haven't had time to breathe, let alone have a beer. How you doing, mate? Yeah, it has been a pretty crazy 24 hours or so in Manchester. Both sides of the city, in terms of United and City, with massive news. Um, the landscape changing slightly at the red side. The landscape staying the same at the blue side. Uh, but yeah, very eventful. Very eventful. Now, let's start with the Glazers deciding to put United up for sale. This sort of came out yesterday uh, that they had let their banks know. And, and you know, you, you guys at Sky Sport in the UK got onto this and said, well, it's not come out official from the club as yet. But like we understand that they have asked their banks to go ahead with the sale of the club. What are you expecting, mate? Um, how long do you think this process will take? Who do you think will be interested? I mean, look, that's the $5 billion question um, <laughs> because that's the sort of price we're expecting it to cost whoever does want to come in. Um, I've been around the club the last uh, couple of days. I got scrambled there late last night when um, we got wind that this news was going to break. And um, certainly the sense I get is that a sale is more likely at this stage than not. Now, in the official statement, when it eventually did come, um, the Glazer family, uh, Avram and Joel Glazer, both uh, putting their name to it. And they suggested that they were looking to explore getting options to get more revenue in, essentially, because the club needs money. Um, the infrastructure, particularly Old Trafford, the Carrington training complex, but also on the pitch as well. So it seems as though the Glazers have reached the conclusion that it's not going to be money out of their pocket it's not going to suit them to borrow even more to plow into the club they can kind of cut their losses or cut their wins i should say really because mm. they've taken a fair amount of money out of manchester united and run um so i think a sale is more likely than not even though the statement did just offer a little bit of caution to suggest that nothing may take place ultimately i think when we look back at what happened at Chelsea in the summer, there were so many interested parties that I would expect a similar kind of interest for Manchester United, which would obviously drive the price up as well. And it's the same group that sold Chelsea are going to be selling Manchester United. So they've got a track record of doing just that. And something that was interesting in the statement when it did come out from the club itself was pointing to their 1.1 billion followers around the world. And that's either fans or people that engage with them on all their social platforms and the like. And I think what they were trying to say is, look, even though on the pitch United has dropped quite a long way away from Europe's elite, they are still in their view, one of, if not the biggest club, the most marketable club in the world. And on that basis, it will command the premium figure. Should anyone, assuming they do come forward and be able to complete a deal. There has been some speculation that given that Liverpool, um, FSG, have put them up for sale at the same time, uh, that that could, could flatten the market a little bit. Maybe, you know, if you look at FSG, you look at the Glazers, are they looking at the Premier League and thinking, well, it's peaked, it's not going to get any better than this, so we'll get out where we can uh, recoup the most money? I think there's elements of that. I think um, there is a 
factor of the European Super League kind of crashing and burning and that project seemingly completely disappearing because obviously it's understandable that the American ownership of both clubs were interested in that Super League, which is why they signed up, because it basically promised an opportunity to make untold wealth and revenue, you know, explore new streams much bigger than either the Premier League and Champions League could offer. So like um, when that deal and that option was kind of denied and ended and it fell down i think that i suspect set both ownership groups on this kind of path um they've seen what's happened at chelsea they've seen the premium price of 2.5 billion pounds for that club and i think both ownership groups would want more for each of them i think united commands more than liverpool just on its historical uh historical performance in the premier league certainly but also its global attraction that I was talking about before uh, that brand is so powerful um, but even so look I mean there will be these will be hugely tempting clubs as much as of course two being on the market at once will flatten the market slightly you've also got to consider this is potentially a once in a lifetime opportunity to get your hands on a premium sports entity now in the shape of United uh, I would imagine that we would see interest and admiring glances from uh, maybe Qatar there's talk that they're looking to buy a Premier League club um You'd imagine possibly some once someone else in the Middle East, could there be a private bid from Saudi Arabia? Or, you know, could it be, I mean, American investors seem as likely as anyone as well. That's certainly uh, something that's been speculated. Or could Jim Ratcliffe, the, the man who, in theory, had a chat with the Glazers, Britain's richest man, uh, a few months ago and was told it wasn't for sale, he tentatively explored Chelsea very late on in that process. Could he be tempted in as well? So, I mean, look, in terms of United, I don't think there will be a shortage of interest. I think for Liverpool, it may slightly just stilt their options, I guess, because United would be the more desirable of the two. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the the rules around how you can buy a club have been changed um, by the Premier League in the wake of the way that the Glazers loaded the club with debt. So whoever comes in can now no longer treat it like they're buying a house and, and load all the debt on the club, can they? They have to buy it outright and I effectively make the club debt free. Yes, they've got a. Um, they'll have to cover essentially the the debts uh, that the Glazers have got too, which we understand is kind of in the region of seven hundred, eight hundred million pounds. And um, they've always been able to manage that debt. But again, that probably plays into another reason why the Glazers at this point feel it's probably time to cash in. I mean, look, we all know the global economic situation is looking fairly bleak. In the UK, certainly interest rates are rising, and you'd imagine that'll be reflected across the globe as well. Um, and on that basis, it's not much fun having loans uh, that might in at some point in the future be um, subject to interest rate changes, particularly if the interest rate's going up. So again, that probably plays into their situation as well. Alongside, let's not forget, near on 20 years of protest. I mean, ever since the Glazers took control right back in 2004, 2005, there's been support of protest about their ownership model, their strategy, and as you say, loading all that debt onto the club. And that's not really gone away. And again, when the European Super League attempt happened, obviously we saw huge protest again. And again, it's kind of just kept that dissatisfaction, that disconnect between fans and owners. That's never going to go away. I think the Glazers have realised that now. And I just wonder whether they just think, look, time to take what money we've got. We've, you know, the, the estimate today I saw was that they'd taken something like one, one and a half billion pounds out of the club anyway, during their ownership through kind of um, money's earned. So in that respect, they've done pretty well out of Manchester United. And should they be able to sell it for a premium of five, six billion pound fee, then 
really it represents good business and as you say perhaps this is about as good an opportunity and a moment to sell a club as we're going to get for the foreseeable future now there has been some talk uh ben and i don't know what you made of it but uh, that this this came on the back of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo effectively being sacked, or you know, mutual termination of his contract, depending which which term you want to use. Uh, do you think the two were in any way related? Uh, no, not at all. Um, the, I, I've been, as you know, in and around Manchester. I mean, I was I was here in Manchester when they took over in two thousand and five. I went away for a bit, but I've come back. Uh, so I've been following this story for a long time, both as a kind of young reporter and now as a sports reporter for Sky Sports, and. No, look, the Glazers up until this point have never, ever, ever entertained offers to sell the club. This is not on a whim. This is not because Cristiano Ronaldo sat down with Piers Morgan a week or two ago and, and said some nasty things about various people that they want to sell. Absolutely not. This is something they would have been thinking about for a while. Um, I suspect this goes back to possibly the summer when they must have been thinking and looking ahead and projecting where this might lead. And as I say, you don't, you know, this Manchester United is a huge global entity and it's a club where things take a lot of time. I mean, look back to their recruitment process of the kind of um, the director of football and technical directors. I mean, those processes went on for ages. It's a club that has often been hamstrung in many ways by the fact that the Glazer family want to be so hands-on. So there's no way that within a week after Ronaldo does an interview, they are going to put the wheels in motion to sell the club that quickly. I mean, this is something I'm, I'm almost certain of it. Uh, that's been going on for a long time. Yeah, they kind of live up to their names. They they move glacially, don't they? Um, the Glazers. <laughs> yes, they really do. That's perfect. Yeah, nothing nothing really happens at any pace. Uh, well, on Cristiano Ronaldo, then that was just the inevitable, wasn't it? I mean, uh, you know, we we're, were a few weeks uh, past, you know, that when that news first came out that he was going to be doing this uh, this interview, or well, he'd done this interview with Piers Morgan, it was going to be getting made public. Um, one way to get yourself sacked. Um, I know he's offered himself to Real Madrid, who don't seem to want him. Bayern have distanced themselves. Uh, Todd Bowley at Chelsea still seems to like the idea, though. I mean, Newcastle, where do you think he's going to end up? Yeah, it really is fascinating because he doesn't appear to have a lot of options. And certainly I was told that in the summer there wasn't any concrete offer made for him. Now, there was some talk of a move to Saudi Arabia, but at the time I think um, there was something that, prevented that I think it was something to do with they they wanted to just pause the amount of money they were spending on all their various sporting ventures in that country so that offer got pulled even though it was kind of on the table there was talk about a return to sporting Lisbon but even though they said I think that they could sort the finances actually even though we all thought that was probably the stumbling block again the manager just thought like do I really want to go back I've started a project building a way of playing with young players do I really want to potentially reverse that project two years by bringing in Ronaldo who doesn't necessarily fit the bill um, Chelsea were very interested. You're right, Todd Bowley in the summer wanted to sign him. It was Thomas Tuchel then who decided he didn't want Ronaldo, put his foot down. Tuchel since gone, but honestly, I can't imagine Graham Potter's going to be any more receptive to having Cristiano Ronaldo in that dressing room. Uh, not the way he's worked and the fact that he's always worked with lots of players at smaller clubs and is all about the team ethic as well. Newcastle, they're onto a great thing. And I'd imagine the ownership model have, have probably given Eddie Howe carte blanche to do what he wants at the moment because he started so well, better than they could have imagined. As much as I'm sure from afar and from the um, the Emirati of Saudi Arabia, they may look over and think, well, actually, having Ronaldo would be a massive coup for the club in terms of global scale. Eddie Howe, I'm, 
again, pretty sure wouldn't really want to risk upsetting what is at the moment a very harmonious dressing room there. And you're right. And then, you you know, if Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and PSG are kind of distancing themselves, where on earth does he go? And that is it's a huge question. And it'll be fascinating to see how this plays out because we are potentially in the position where we were in the summer, where one of the world's greatest players of all time hasn't got anyone who's willing to put their money with their mouth and sign him, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, so I mean, it's got to be a blow for the ego, you've got to imagine, and that certainly has come to the fore. Uh, I mean, it feels to me like, from a fo- purely a football point of view, if you're going to sign Cristiano Ronaldo, you need to be a team that dominates possession. Um, because he obviously he doesn't want to use his sprints up per game on closing the opposition. He wants to use it for taking breaks. So, I mean, if you look at that, that I don't even know if that works for Chelsea, does it? Because they don't keep the ball like, say, a Barcelona in their heyday did. No, and even that Barcelona team, because we see a guise of it now, don't we, um, at Manchester City, is that a big part of that is still that high press to win the ball back. And, I, you know, Ronaldo suggested in that interview that he was close to joining City in the summer. Well, that's not qu- quite how it is viewed from the Manchester City side. I can tell you that. So he doesn't seem to fit into that style of play. And even, and, and you know, when we talk about City, they are the club, if there's going to be a club in the world, who dominate the possession of the ball more than anyone else. And yet they also need strikers, as we, we've seen. Who will press? I mean, look, Haaland is perhaps slightly different, but again, Haaland has a burst of pace in a sprint that, yes, Ronaldo ten years ago would have been able to emulate, but he he isn't quite the same player, is he? So, as terms in terms of dynamic and team shape, it is so hard because again, you talk about the ego. He will only want to go and play for a club that what well, first of all he wants to go and play for a club that wants him. But also he sees himself at a certain level, which is obviously why he was, you know, talking up in that interview, the possibility of Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain. But again, both those clubs are going to struggle to accommodate him. I mean, out of all of them, you'd say Real Madrid is probably the most likely to come up with some sort of solution because I suppose they probably would see the marketing value and they might be able to carry him a bit more, given that half the games in La Liga, they can win at a canter. But even so, maybe with all the money they've spent on the Bernabeu, they're just in no position financially right now to do it. I mean, that's the this is why it's such a fascinating situation. Well, you mentioned Man City there. Of course, there's been big news out of Manchester City that Pep Guardiola's signed a, a two-year extension as well, mate. Uh, I know it's one of the many stories you were covering today running around Manchester. Has this been flagged at all? I mean, it seems very Pep to do it off the back of an Argentine, uh, Argentina upset at a World Cup so no one pays attention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I think we... Um, I think we all knew it was coming. Um, the fact that this, I mean, I'd spoken with so many of my colleagues in and around kind of the Manchester City press pack over the last few months. And even though there was nothing from the club to suggest it was happening now, and even though when asked publicly in press conferences, Pep Guardiola always shot down the questions and said no. I mean, he told me maybe six months ago that he'd wait till the end of the season or towards the end of the season before he decided on his future. But even at the time, I thought that was really unlikely. Um, and, you know, we all were saying, look, Obviously, there's a World Cup break. He's going to go to Abu Dhabi. He's going to have the conversation. Previously, when he's extended his contract, he's done it around this time of year. And the club, don't forget, will have learned a lesson from the way that Manuel Pellegrini departed um, when essentially his contract was allowed to run right down to the end of the season. Players, I'm not going to say down tools, but of course, his words in the dressing room were, you know, they suddenly became, they carried a lot less weight because all the players knew he was off in a few months. And that season really did peter out. Um they they will never want to let themselves get in that situation again. And 
on that basis, it was always going to happen at this point in time. So I'm just pleased in that sense that at least it's out and we don't have to worry about any more speculation. And it's, I mean, it's an amazing signing for City again because he's been so good. I love the little Twitter video he put out saying, effectively, sorry, guys, I'm staying for a, a bit longer. Um, and I'm sure maybe Jurgen Klopp and others might have just kind of had that old smack their foreheads with their palms thinking, oh, crumbs, I thought we might get rid of him at the end of the season. <laughs> it will take him up to nine years at Manchester City, which is pretty much double what he spent at Barcelona in any kind of coaching or managerial capacity, which is remarkable. Um, and his, you know, I suppose his dynasty won't quite be complete unless he wins that Champions League trophy. But with Haaland in the side for two seasons, you'd have to say they've got as good a chance as any. You'd have to think so, mate. You'd have to think so. Of course, we do have a World Cup on at the moment, Ben. And just before I, I let you go, I've got to say, what did you make of that very non-Southgate performance from England against Iran? I mean, everything I'd read and looked at and listened to said it was going to be a 1-0 grind, probably Harry Kane from the penalty spot in the 79th minute type thing. So I didn't bother getting up for the game because it was 2 o'clock in the morning here. I thought, oh, God, it'll just put me back to sleep. I'll watch the highlights later. Wake up and see it's 6-2. What's going on? Yeah, it was a really good performance, actually. I think the most encouraging thing from an England point of view was that attacking quintet. They played really well. Um, I think that Playing four at the back allowed them to have a little bit more going forward. And I think that was the right decision from Gareth Southgate. I mean, look, partly his hands are tied in that we haven't got many fit centre-halves, really. But actually, I think he knew they were going to dominate position. I think he had to trust the, uh, a back four. And it worked really well because what it enabled is just that that kind of uh, five forward players to all get involved in the attack. And it involved Kane, you know, allowed Kane to play very centrally. I thought Bakayo Saka was absolutely excellent. Uh, on the flank and yeah it was really good Jude Bellingham uh, it allowed him to kind of get forward a bit more than he perhaps he sometimes can when he's paired in that central midfield of a four uh, with Declan Rice so yeah I think that they played really well and I think um, look the reason for the negativity is because England traditionally haven't started well at major tournaments I mean it's really tough and, and actually if you think about some of the upsets that we've seen at this tournament already I mean Germany most notably today Argentina as you've already mentioned they're the sort of results that England are on the receiving end of uh, and have been throughout my whole lifetime I mean I I put a tweet out the other day I think 12 opening matches at major tournaments that I remember watching and I think there have been two wins out of those 12 until this team came together and then lo and behold Russia the Euros and this one England's youngsters have been absolutely fantastic so that's why I really like this team they it'll give them huge confidence it's a great result at the right time they now need to carry that into the United States game, which will be more difficult uh, than the Iran match. There's no doubt about that. But if they can win again and put themselves essentially into the next round, that'll be a huge boost going into the Wales game because essentially it takes any pressure off and it allows Gareth Southgate to rotate and just try and get some minutes in some legs because already, I mean, there were some pretty ferocious tackles and some of them were just a bit silly in that Iran game. Um, it was, it reminded me of kind of like almost like Sunday league or school football where people were just hacking each other down when they were getting tired. And Harry Kane, unfortunately took that knock, didn't he, to his ankle in the mm. second half. We're told he is back training, but to lose him, would be a massive blow. So I think actually managing the squad is going to be absolutely crucial for all of the teams who are looking to go past the group stage in this tournament. Yeah, good stuff. Ben, thanks very much, mate. I'll let you put your feet up and, and, and grab that uh, well-earned brewski. Uh, the busiest man in Manchester, a, a title well-earned after today. I will look forward to it. I've, uh, yeah, dry mouth now. So we're going to go to the fridge right away. Thanks, Ricardo. No worries. Uh, this has been Ransom Cross brought to you by Stella Artois, of course. Uh, 9.25. Thanks, Ben. Go well. Uh, we'll be back after this. 
brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo in for Smithy. 1-0 to Belgium. Still 20 minutes to go in their game against the Canadians. Earlier today, Morocco and Croatia drew nil all. And we also saw an absolute tonking. The Costa Ricans, who got past the All-Whites to qualify for this, were beaten 7-0 by Spain. Spain's record World Cup score. Pass thirded through the gaps to Alba, who squares it up towards Olmo. Now he's found a central player in Pedri, looking to go back to Olmo. He spins, gets away from his defender, and chips it in. First goal for Spain. It took just 11 minutes. Foray after foray, it was coming. It's Alba in space. Plays a lateral ball through. And the second goal for Spain, Marco Asensio. Quick as you like. Alba played the lateral pass across the top of the box. And Asensio just needed half a second to have a look. To take his shot first time and slide it past the goalkeeper. Looking for the 1-2 with Alba who stayed central. Alba continues on inside the 18-yard box. Two defenders in front of him. He's upended and penalty awarded. And now to score in the 31st minute. Fran Torres comes up and rolls it down the middle. And Spain have a third. Fran Torres up towards Gavi, who cuts it back in ball towards Fran Torres. Francisco Calvo in front of him. Calo Navas has come out and Fran Torres makes him pay. Swiveling around and poking it underneath the goalkeeper. Valde accelerating away, getting through the middle of the ground, slipping a pass in towards Morata. Flag stayed down, play goes on. Morata squares it up and the cross and the shot comes in from Gabby. Played it out on the laces and rifled it into the bottom corner. Navas has fumbled it from the cross and coming up is Carlos Soler who buries it for 6 0. Carlos Navas came out with the hands. Didn't quite get what he wanted on the end of it. And he placed it into the path of Carlos Soler, the midfielder, who charged up to score his fourth goal for Spain. Just outside the 18-yard box. He'll swivel and face infield, cutting it back across the top of the area towards Nico Williams. Morata has space to work into. Threads a 1-2. Morata! Alvaro Morata makes it 7 Yes, 7-0. Uh, David Choate's going to join us, part of our call team here at SENZ for the FIFA World Cup. Former All-White himself will get his take on that and uh, if he thinks the All-Whites might have fared any better. Still to come this hour, we've got a uh, multi for you, Smithy's Multi, but by me and Tewera Bishop from the uh, Black Sox as well ahead of the Softball World Cup. All of that before 10. It is 25 away from 10 o'clock here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Texts came through earlier on double eight double three. That's the temper bed post text machine. Uh, when I was talking to Ben Ransom out of Manchester about where Cristiano Ronaldo goes next, uh, no name on the text, but it says he will go to the USA, guys. It'll be interesting to see if that happens. There has been some talk about him going to Inter Miami, which is owned by David Beckham, but I don't think he's done with Europe yet. And the other thing which is a bit uh, controversial is that he was accused of rape a few years ago in the US 
The uh, charges were thrown out because of a lack of evidence, but apparently there's a civil suit waiting for him, and that's why he's never gone back. There's been a few pre-season tours that have gone to the US, and he's never gone. So I don't know. That'll be one that we'll have to wait and see. Still 1-0 to Belgium over the Canadians. 15 minutes left in that one, hoping that Jonathan David can get on the score sheet and earn me some moolah. We will see. Uh, Speaking of that, we have a TAB multi for you next. 12 away from 10 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball and Will Smithies away for the rest of the year on Fox Commentary Duties over in Australia. We're talking Softball World Cup now and uh, joining us out of the Black Sox camp is Tewera Bishop. G'day Tewera, how are you? I'm good, thank you. That's a story, mate. That's a story. You're amped. Uh, looking forward to this World Cup on home soil? Uh, yes, no, well, I'm, I'm pretty excited, mate. It's, uh, it's a big time, it's a big... Uh... It's a big chance for us to, to do it in front of home crowd, which is awesome. Yeah, I, may, I just hope that the Auckland weather plays ball, because at the moment it's looking pretty ordinary out there. Yeah, it is really ordinary. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's actually stopped raining right now, so that, that's a, you know, a positive. That's, that's a positive. We'll take that positive, mate. Uh, how's, how's, yeah. it, how's it impacted you guys so far? I mean, I imagine it's, it's made training a bit difficult. I mean, yesterday was probably uh, the yeah. first good day we've had for a while. Yep, yep. No, it's, uh, it's definitely make a, um, making it interesting, but... Um, we're adaptable and uh, we're making everything work as as we need it. We you know we've got uh, we've got other facilities that we can uh, actually delve into and uh, and use. So so we're pretty lucky in that sense. Oh, that's good, mate. Now you you picked up the MVP at the fast pitch, uh, which is good because you're transitioning uh, between softball and baseball. Of course, um, how, how have you found the transition, and and what's the main difference for you as a catcher? Uh, yeah, no, but, um, I guess the biggest difference is. Uh, it's definitely the timing. The, uh, you've just got no time at all to uh, to think a bit. Uh, well, I get. I guess I can't overthink anyway. And mm. softball because you just don't have that time, which is the biggest one for me. Um, which is good because you can just let your body do what your body does. Then it's just reactive. Because I guess I mean you know baseball pitching is faster than softball pitching, but then there's a, fir- a bigger distance for the ball to, to travel, right? Yes. Yes. So uh, that one was. Definitely the uh, the biggest thing that I saw when I came back was um even though the guys are throwing 100 mile an hour uh, catching that softball is a is a is a lot quicker and uh, you need to be you need to be on your game especially with our heart the our boys find it yeah yeah I mean you've got a good uh, a good pitching roster mate I mean how do you think that measures up against you know the I mean I look at the teams in your group the RGs are very good the US of course the Cubans Philippines um, even the Czechs how do you think that pitching roster um, lines up with those guys oh we've got um you know some of the best pitchers in the world so so that's uh that's definitely a positive for us and um. As long as we stay on the same page and we go through our game plan and we execute what we have to do, we have the best pitchers in the world. Yeah, okay. And in terms of looking at uh, conditions here, I mean, I, I would imagine a diamond's the same as a diamond anywhere else in the world, right? So how much help is it being at home? How much of an advantage? I think it's going to be a huge advantage for us, especially, um, I don't know if anyone else is used to playing in this weather. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> I think that might go uh, kind of our way a bit. Um, but the fact that we are at home is, is a huge, huge advantage for us, and um, so I think it's going to be um, awesome. And I think all the boys are quite excited for it too. Yeah, I mean, on that, I know you know in cricket it doesn't take much for them to go off the field. But uh, what about it, softball? I mean, how how heavy can that rain get, and you guys still play? Uh, it's it's sort of I guess it goes off what the umpires think is too dangerous. 
if they think it's uh, too dangerous to play, they will shut it down. But we, you know, we can play in a lightness, and it all just really depends on the picture. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, just make, yep. make sure you got the towel and you got that uh, got that ball nice and dry, so you don't end up with one yep. down over your yeah. head, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, who do you think the biggest challenges uh, for you guys will be at this World Cup? I mean, I'm looking across the other group. Of course, got the Aussies, the Canadians, Japanese are very good. I don't know too much about the Danish or the South Africans, but I think the Venezuelans are pretty storied as well, aren't they? Yep. Uh, oh, there's definitely um, everyone here can win it. So that's the um, that's the amazing thing about softball is um, the international level is so good right now that. Uh, Anyone then at any point in time can can win it. So we have to be. Well, we've got to approach every single game uh, the exact same with the same intensity in order for us to uh, take it home by the end of it. In terms of how much gameplay you'll get, uh, obviously you're, the, you're, you're going to be starting behind the plate. How is that on the knees, mate? And obviously you're you're one of the top batsmen in the team as well. Um, do you do you see yourself being you know going all seven innings every every time round? Um, I'm really, I guess for me, the, the, the catching is, is fine. I've, I've done it for long enough now where I've sort of built up, built up enough leg, leg strength that that doesn't really, doesn't really bother me anymore. But, um, I think with everything, it's just, it's just about being ourselves now and, um, you know, not putting too much of that pressure and on ourselves where we uh, overwhelm ourselves. Mm. So I think um, just for me, personally, that is definitely my approach to it. And um, I feel good with, with what I've done and how I've prepared and I'm excited. And it's, it's going to be new for me because I'm not used to going to the tournament and only playing one game a day. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a bit different and it's, it's, a, it's a nice, nice little change. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it makes it easier to focus, right? Yep, yep, 100%. Yeah. There's uh, just a little chance to get on a bit of a roll when uh, if you're in a bit of a slump, it's hard to break out when you've only got one game, one game a day. I guess. I guess it may, going back into this Black Sox environment with Mark Sorensen still running things, it must like be be slipping on an old uh, an old catching mitt, right? Be pretty comfortable. Feels like it's a real family environment with you guys as well, and I know there's a lot of family connections within the squad as well. Yep, yep. No, there is. It is. It's it's all an awesome uh, thing to be a part of, and. Um, the fact that we have so many, you know, if we're not direct family, we're we're all pretty much related at, at some point in time with with our with our extended families, which is pretty awesome. And as you say, it's a big family uh, orientated sport, so it's good to be a part of and uh, good to have the support. And you feel like it's uh, like I said, it's like putting on an old glove. It uh, just feels familiar. Yeah, I mean, you, you've been uh, switching between sports, I guess, for for a long time. When you signed with the with the Sox, what in, oh, it was about ten years or so ago now, um, you know. So you've done that, and you've come back, and you've gone back and forth. How how easy is the transition for you now? That it's you've done it a few times. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, uh, lucky enough to get that chance multiple times, but um, it's it's definitely not an easy transition. Um, it takes a lot of work and preparation, and and you've got to put a lot of time into it. So I'm lucky that I've got a I've got a beautiful partner that is uh, willing to to deal with that, and uh, and my daughter. So which is uh, which is awesome because it's definitely uh, it's definitely a hard time in my family that, that I keep jumping back and forward and moving around and going here and there. Yeah, I mean, obviously you've got a full time job now uh, back in Wellington, but. Um 
in terms of what you do after this World Cup? I mean, have you made a decision? Or were we going to see you back in the Tuatara colours um, for, for the, the, this season? Uh, I, haven't made a, I haven't made a decision yet. I'm, I'm focusing on this and, and that's as far as I thought. And then uh, I think after, once the tournament's done, I'll, I'll deal with that once once we get there. Yeah, all right, mate. Well, hopefully um, you've got a while before you have to make that decision because, fingers crossed, uh, you go all the way and uh, we're talking to you as a as a world champion in what, a, a month or so time. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's, uh, that's obviously our goal and uh, I can't wait for it. And uh, no, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, Tawera, thanks very much for your time, brother. Um, Really appreciate it. Go well. Good luck to you and the team, and uh, we'll catch up with you through the tournament, eh? Thank you very much. Cheers for that. Cheers. uh, Tawera Bishop there with us, the catcher for the Black Sox course, uh, former Tuatara catcher as well, was signed, I think it was at 2011, he was signed to the Red Sox, and then ended up going, I think, played uh, for the Brewers for a little while as well, played in their farm system. So, man with a lot of experience uh, in both softball and baseball. It is three away from ten. Your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That means there's some breaking news, Logan. Hold the phones. Hold the phones. The headline is, The King is Back. Former Blues superstar and fan favourite Carlos Spencer is back where he made a name for himself. And now he's part of the Blues women's back uh, set up as the backs coach for the Super All, Super Rugby All-Picky season oh, next year. Of course, Spencer, inaugural member there of the Blues from 1996, played 99 times in nine seasons for the clubs, says he is beyond stoked to be back with the Blues far now and brings a wealth of playing and coaching experience to the role the latter with several stints in South Africa and more recently with the Hurricanes in Super Rugby and the New Orleans Gold in Major League Rugby in America. So huge one there for the Blues. Yeah, massive one for the Blues. That is uh, a great get. When you said uh, where he originally made his mark, I thought you were going to say he's gone back to Levin and he's going to be head coach of Horofenua Kapiti because uh, I remember I think he was about 17 when he played a Ranfilly Shield Challenge against Auckland and got the sole Horofenua uh, Kapiti try. In that match, but no, Auckland, uh, he's back at the Blues, uh, working with the uh, the women's team, Super Rugby Alpecky. That is fantastic news. Uh, a couple of texts have come through on double eight double three. Morning, lads. I jumped on Japan too. I only had $6 left in the TAB account and was about to top up to have some fun on the FWC games, but put that last six on Japan instead. Great way to wake up this morning. Cheers, Zane. Good stuff, Zane. Glad that came through for you. Topped up your account. Uh, Stu has asked what the multi was because uh, we went early with it. Uh, Stu, Neymar to score any time at $2 for Brazil tomorrow morning. Uh, Darwin Nunez to score any time at two fifty for Uruguay versus South Korea tomorrow. And then Portugal at $1.40 head-to-head with Ghana. Return 7 bucks that multi. There you go. That's what, that's what you want to get amongst, Logan. Have we got Simon Hampton there? Is, 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 the, is the hamster on the phone? We're going to talk to him because... Yeah, it is, uh, of course, uh, Thanksgiving there tomorrow. It means there's three NFL games. Uh, Simon, good morning. How are you, mate? G'day, Ricardo. Good to speak to you. Yeah, Happy good Thanksgiving. S- yeah, and you, mate, and you. Uh, I mean, something we don't obviously celebrate here. How, just how big <laughs> is that in, in the in the US? You know, when you put it next to, say, Christmas and Halloween and Easter and all those other holidays. 
Well, it's my favourite uh, out of the holidays. I think it's it's fun. You know, the weather's starting to get colder over here. Um, everyone comes together. We cook a whole bunch of food. I'm, I'm hanging out with a couple of other Kiwis uh, tomorrow. And we're, you know, cooking a turkey, cooking a lamb, uh, cooking some pies up, um, you know, a whole bunch of food. And, and then we'll be watching a whole bunch of NFL as well. So, uh, it's a, always a, always a good um, a good social occasion. Yeah, mate, that sounds good. Sounds so, you know, any time that there's uh, lots of food and lots of football involved, you can't complain. I did see somebody exactly. uh, suggesting, and I'm trying to remember what they called it now. Um, it was a it was basically it was a turkey but stuffed with an octopus, and they'd left all the tentacles hanging out the back. Um, I, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know how you'd go with that. I haven't heard of that, and I, I'm. Uh, I mean, I'm. I'm open to trying new things, but um, maybe uh, I'd steer clear of uh, that. Um, that contraption. <laughs> yeah, interesting to see how that that comes out of the oven, though. Yeah, it would be. It would be. I'd, I'd be be all about that, mate. Be all about that. Try, try new things, mate. Try new things. That's what it's all about. Exactly. Now we've got exactly. uh, a triple header tomorrow. Um, the Bills with the uh, against the Lions to start, and the Lions have. You know, at the beginning of the season, I thought the Lions looked like they might give a few teams a, um, a a problem, and I've thought that about the Lions before. And then they've completely, you know, they've they've gone close in a couple of games, lost a few by sort of under sevens, and then just been blown out and absolutely done nothing all season. And I thought that was the way this season was going to go. But a couple of big wins for them in the last couple of weeks. Uh, do you reckon they've got enough to give the Bills some problems in Detroit? Yeah, I mean, certainly the Bills are are, are the favourites. Um, but look, this this um, Lions side is, is is fun to watch. They're, they're coming right at the, the right time. They won three in a row now to, to be four and six. They're not going to win the NFC North, but suddenly you start looking at them as a, a potential outside wildcard match because if they could somehow sneak a win uh, against the Bills this weekend, um, tomorrow, after that, they've, they've, they've got a schedule that which becomes quite winnable. They've got the Jags, the, the Jets, the Panthers, the Bears, uh, and the Packers again, and, the, and a match against the Vikings as well. So there's a few games in there that are that are winnable. And, you know, look, they've, they've got their top draft pick, Jamison Williams, the wide receiver. He's due back in the next week or two, so so he's going to bolster their, their already quite potent offense. Um, and, I, and I think this Lions side is, is starting to show some signs that they're, they're a competitive team. And I think the best thing about them is they're also fun to watch. You know, they're regularly putting up 30 points in games. They're, their defense is a bit weak, and so they're, they're susceptible to, uh, to a few blowouts. But it does often mean high-scoring games with the Lions are involved. And I think... Coming up against a Bills team, um, which is equally potent on offense, um, we could uh, be in for, for quite a high-scoring one tomorrow. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And you, you mentioned a, a suspect to a few blowouts. Uh, I was looking at the standings, and the Vikings are eight and two, right? So they've won eight, lost two, but their points differential is minus two. Talk about being blown out. Yeah, I know, crazy. I mean, that's what one. You know, this NFL season is so tough, so close. And if you have one forty to three loss uh, or thrashing, as the Vikings had last week against the Cowboys, you're right. Suddenly, a nation two team can have a minus points differential, which is quite staggering. But they'll come up against the Patriots side um, tomorrow night, um, which is going to be a tough matchup for them. The Patriots are, are coming into form at the right time. The defense that Bill Belichick is, is running out up there in New England is is just. So hard to get anything done against. I know the the Jets obviously struggled uh, big time last weekend in a, in a 10-3 loss to the, to the Patriots. And the Patriots are 6-4. and four. They've got stuff to play for now. And, and I, I quite like them in this matchup. Um, for me, it's you know similar to this, this Vikings side coming up against a stern defense like they did against the Cowboys last week. Uh, and so I fancy the Patriots to, to potentially to get uh, the upset here.
Yeah, okay. I'm looking forward to that. And of course, in in between, we've got uh, you know sort of AFC um, AFC East versus NFC North uh, matchups there, and sandwiched in the middle is another any of. Uh, East matchup between the Giants and the Cowboys, uh, two teams who are locked on seven and three behind two games behind the Eagles. I mean, this could potentially be season defining for both teams. Uh, a win here, and, and you and you get the break over a divisional rival, a loss, and and maybe you're just out on the outer when it comes to that wild card race. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're you're right, and I think the Cowboys will be uh, favourites for this. Obviously, they're coming off a, a massive one of the Vikings that that you just mentioned. Um, I think they're just looking a little bit better than than the Giants. I know they've got the same record, but I think, you know, you talk about points differentials. Yeah, the Giants is plus one for a seven and three team. Uh, the Cowboys is, is sort of closer to plus seventy. So I think they're, you know, obviously with a big one, um, making up for a lot of that, but. I think the Cowboys look, look really strong. Uh, their defense is, is is fantastic with Mika Parsons there. The the offense is, is you know hitting hitting all the right form with Dak Prescott now back and fully fit, and then C.D. Lamb there. Uh, Tony Pollard's giving you know them two running back options with Zeke Elliott as well. I think the Cowboys are, are starting to hit form at the right time. I think they're a real team to watch down the stretch, and I think the Giants, on the other hand, I think are perhaps starting to to get found out a little bit. I think they're a team that. You know, it's it's good, and they've been they've been well coached, but they've probably overperformed so far this year. And I I do wonder, you know, I lost to Detroit last weekend, which is a game that, uh, you know, a seven and three team should be able to win. But uh, I do think the the Giants will probably come up second best against the Cowboys here. Yeah. All right, mate. Uh, before we move on from the NFL, there is one game on Monday that I, I just want to touch on: the Chiefs at home to the Rams. Um, the defending Super Bowl champions are three and seven. Can the will the Chiefs put them out of their misery this weekend? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think the Rams are, are done and dusted for the year. Um, I think, you know, Cooper Cup's out for the rest of the year now. I, I saw they uh, they waived their um, running back, Daryl Henderson. Uh, so he's he's going to be a free agent shortly. Uh, I saw their backup quarterbacks getting a lot more first-team reps at training. So there's, there's a chance perhaps they, they just at some point sit Matt Stafford and, and try and get him fully fit for next season. But I think the the Rams are, are pretty much uh, in you know next season mode now, and it's a shame for them actually because they they traded away all their draft picks to you know their future draft picks to, to put out a Super Bowl winner last year, and they won the Super Bowl. So it's it's hard to argue against that, but it does mean that if they they bottom out and, and end up with you know what would have been a top five pick, um, that they're going to be sending that pick somewhere else. So. Um, but nonetheless, they've still got you know the bones of a good team. It's just been a, a tough year for the Rams, and so I think they're, they're pretty close to to rebuilding and, and, and going into next year. But I think this Chiefs side is, is in scintillating form at the moment and, and should comfortably win that one. Yeah, all right, mate. Uh, now, we should talk about a couple of other things. Um, one of those is, I was going to say you rubbing shoulders with it. It's probably not accurate. Uh, you, you rubbing shoulder to elbow with Stephen Adams. Um, how was that? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. So me and uh, a mate of mine, Kiwi mate, that, that hosts the 3rd and 5 podcast with, um, went along to the Grizzlies-Nets game at, at Barclays Centre in Brooklyn the other night. And my, my mate was uh, very keen to to get his Memphis Grizzlies Stephen Adams jersey signed by the big man. So he even bought a New Zealand flag along with him and, and sort of hung that down the, the bottom row to try and get Adams' attention during the warm-ups. And Adams looked stoked when he saw it. He sort of, you know, pointed it, gave it a massive wave, sort of indicated he'd be over in a couple of minutes when he was, he was done what he was doing. And, and sure enough, he, he wandered over, um, you know, shook both of our hands, had a little yarn to us both, um, thanked us for coming. Unfortunately, Barclays Centre Security 
didn't let us bring in any pens, and so they um, they confiscated uh, James, my friend's pens, and and so there were no pens to to sign the jersey with. But uh, the Grizzlies social media team were there, and they uh, they took a couple of nice photos um, and and put them on the the Grizzlies Twitter page, and so. Um, it was cool, and, and Adams went out and had a good game. The, the Grizzlies lost, but Adams put up a double double and was in uh, in good form. Yeah, oh, that's great, mate. It's a it's a great story. Uh, yeah, it baffles me. We could we could go into it why American security will take a pen off you, but you could wander in anywhere with a gun. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a whole other story. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not allowed to graffiti the walls, but you are allowed to you know defend yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. Um, uh, just before we let you go, mate, um, how big is the FIFA World Cup? In New York at the moment, the USA faced uh, the Poms this weekend. Uh, how much attention is that getting? Yeah, it's it's big. Um, but I think you know, soccer as they as they call it over here is is it continues to to grow. Um, you know, I think Americans are re- really tuned into their team. The the US national team, both the women's um, well, the women's in particular is you know one of the best in the world. As as New Zealand will see next year at the Women's World Cup, but uh, the men's team as well is is growing and is becoming more and more competitive as well. Uh, and, and there's a lot of excitement around this team. And I think come Friday when they play England, it's a 2 p.m. kickoff over here in New York. And so I think, you know, on a long weekend when most people won't be working, the, the pubs will be full. Uh, there'll be There's a lot of expat English folk over here. And there's obviously a lot of people interested in the, the USA team. So I think the pubs are going to be full. There's going to be a, a great atmosphere around. And, and people are really, really tuned into this World Cup. They obviously know that the, the Men's World Cup is coming in 2026 as well to America. And, and so... I think there's a, a lot of excitement around this this US team and uh, following the World Cup as a whole. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they go. Harry Kane in doubt for the Poms with an ankle injury. Uh, and, you know, there's a stat that, that floats around, no doubt you're aware of. England have never beaten the United States at a World Cup. They've played twice. They've lost mm-hmm. one and drawn one. So, uh, you know, the US have got the wood on them. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't hate the the idea of you know. I think this USA team is is, is underrated a little bit. They've they've got some serious young talent there with you know Pulisic and, and Rayner and um, a lot of other guys that are that are you know potentially could be household European football names um, over the next few years, uh, if if not already in the case of someone like Pulisic. But um, yeah, I, I like the the chances of uh, the USA with a bit of momentum and and that sort of knowledge that, that they'll always get up for a game against England as well um, to, to potentially get a win um, or, or, or at the very least a draw in this game. It, it certainly is a, is a game that I could see going uh, in all three directions. Yeah, I think it's just a pity they've got a couple of cloggers in the central defence and uh, uh, Tim Raymond. Could he be any better named Walker Zimmerframe? Well, Zimmerman, but I always <laughs> think Zimmerframe when I hear his first name is Walker and he's you know it's just a bit of a clogger. He could never be fast with a name like that, could he? <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, no. Uh, good stuff, mate. Have a good Thanksgiving. Enjoy your feast and enjoy that, uh, you know, being glued to the couch for three NFL games back to back. And thanks for uh, giving us some time, mate, and uh, keep up the good work on the third and five podcast, eh? Thanks, Ricardo, mate. We'll talk soon. Yeah, we'll do. Simon Hampton there with us out of New York. Up next, it is the panel, Nikki Styrus and Graham Beasley. Are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 10.22 here on the panel on SENZ with Ricardo and joining us is the First Lady of New Zealand trampolining, Nikki Styrus. How are you? <laughs> 
Shivers, that's a hell of an introduction. Uh, good, thank you. Lovely that, to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you again, mate, as well. And uh, also, sports freak uh, Graham Beasley with us this morning. G'day, Graham. Good morning, Ricardo. Good morning, Nicky. Now, I don't, I don't know if you were aware of this, Graham. Did you know that Nicky uh, represented New Zealand in trampolining? I only became aware of that recently. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I, um, oh. yeah, I, I something a few days ago about that. So, um, yeah, no, up until then, I did not know that. Uh, we've got to start, Nicky. I know this wasn't in the notes, but I know that you'll have something to say about this. Um, Dylan Schmidt, what an absolute superstar! Mm-hmm. Olympic bronze medal, and now on the podium um, at the Worlds as well with a uh, with a with a world title. It's funny you should bring that up actually, because the um, I got contacted by Vicky Humphreys, who's the manager, who was over there at the time, and said um, first before Dylan, she said uh, Brom and Dibbs just won. New Zealand's first gold medal at a world event uh, in 24 years for what they call the double mini tramp. I don't know if, you, if you've seen that. Um, and so her coach, Nigel Humphreys, uh, was my coach back in the day. So that's how far back we're going. But, um, yeah, so I, I was aware of what was going on and um, I'm actually going to put together a nice summer feature on Dylan and Bronwyn because I just think New Zealand trampolining is just uh, just got hey here we go leaps and bounds um, <laughs> the time for the morning yeah so I mean obviously from a personal level I'm absolutely thrilled because um, you know back when I used trampoline there was the world championships and that was it there was no Olympic games there was no higher honours and I just think it's wonderful to see us once again um, you know uh, punching above our weight when it comes to these you know sports events because there's some fantastic trampolinists around the world and gymnasts and Dylan now has really shown that he is right up there and he's uh, you know p- probably a sure medal for Paris which is just just wonderful news yes. yeah great news on Bronwyn and so many angles too did you I was just reading about her earlier and uh, the, the fact that she's also a Canterbury rugby player and, and wants to play for the Black Ferns at some point I mean yeah, it's, it's mate you've got angles on angles I know. Well, that's what I was thinking. I could get a couple of stories out of this one. Yes, I actually didn't know that she uh, was a, an aspiring black spoon. So very, very contrasting sports, I'm not going to lie. Um, trampolining is, uh, you've got to be strong, I guess you do for like for rugby, but um, quite a different set of skills. So it's pretty good in the line out. True that, and the somersaults after you score, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Graham, Graham, I mean, it's good. It's I know this was on the notes for you, mate. And I don't want to go deep on it with you, but uh, it, just great to see success uh, from from Kiwi athletes overseas, and you know, another new sport for us to check out and look at. Absolutely. Well, Dylan's our only Olympic medalist in uh, gymnastics, isn't he? Because uh, doesn't trampolining sort of come under the broader category of gymnastics at the Olympics? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, no, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, I, yeah, only Olympic medal. Obviously, we had Commonwealth Games, but not Olympic, no. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right. Hey, let's talk FIFA World Cup. Um, overnight, the Germans got beaten by Japan 2-1, um, but the German Federation got other things on their mind. They're talking about legal action uh, because FIFA decided to basically ban the One Love armband that uh, some of the European teams had said they were going to uh, wear to promote the rainbow community or show solidarity, solidarity with the rainbow community. Uh, FIFA then said, well, if you do that, the referee could, uh, you know, basically give your players a, a yellow card for wearing it. So uh, the German FA are calling it blackmail uh, and considering legal action. Uh, Graham, is just what this World Cup needs—more off-field controversy. 
Yeah, it certainly needs more drama, doesn't it? I thought what Jim, what the German players did um, before the game today in terms of covering up their faces was um, uh, pretty cool and pretty imaginative, actually. Mm. Oh, you know, I wouldn't have thought of that as a way to protest, so that was quite effective. But good luck taking FIFA to court, I would have thought. Um, you know, you think that FIFA will kind of win every battle that they um, that they engage in, except with their battles with the Qatar government. I mean, I'm I'm amazed that FIFA and all its power and all its corruption, and all that kind of stuff, bent over to both this uh, yellow card rule, which is absolutely ridiculous, and to there being no no booze in the stadiums, which was only announced 48 hours before the cup began. Um, I mean, those two things are pretty outrageous, and for FIFA to just sort of bend over and let them happen is almost the most amazing thing of the whole thing for me. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. I, I think there must be incriminating photos of Gianni Infantino somewhere in Qatar uh, because, I mean, if you go I back mean, to is, 2014, they told the Brazilian yeah, government that they had to change their laws, otherwise they weren't going to have the World Cup, Nikki. Yeah, look, I mean, there's so many issues, isn't it? You know, you've got to love a World Cup for all the political and sporting dramas that, that, that occur. I was doing a little bit of sort of uh, research into this because I didn't know a great deal about it. And what fascinated me was that these uh, football associations, actually, or most of the European ones, actually went to FIFA two months ago about this armband, uh, requesting to be able to wear it. And FIFA didn't actually reply to them. Uh, so they're just like radio silence. And so I guess they probably thought, well, you know, maybe we are going to be able to wear this. And it was was only until the 11th hour that FIFA turned around and said, well, actually, that's a breach, you know, of our equipment rules. And if you do wear it, uh, yeah, we will sanction you by not fining you, but not allowing you to play. So definitely blackmail. And, you know, these players come out and said, well, we asked this two months ago of you and you didn't, you didn't reply to us. So, you know, it just reeks of them just taking full control and saying, it's, you know, it's our way or the highway. And perhaps the only reason that they have sort of uh, bowed down to the Qatari government is because there's so much money over there and, and involved in their uh, sport and, and what they can bring to FIFA that, you know, that overrides everything. But it certainly is, it's bubbling away and I'll be very interested to see how this plays out over sort of the next wee while, I don't think it's going to go away and I think you'll find there'll be more protests, whether it's a hand over the mouth or, you know, they just come out and say, you know what, we're going to wear that armband whether you like it or not and what are you going to do about it? Mm, it was interesting. John Richardson, who's a uh, UK comic comedian, uh, tweeted this. He said, the threat of a yellow card doesn't stop players diving, fouling or abusing referees, but it has stopped them showing solidarity with those who are threatened with death for being in love. What an absolute farce. Uh, so he's certainly putting the heat back on the players, Graham. I don't know where you sit on that. I mean, he makes a really good point, but I, I do, I do have sympathy for the players there. Yeah, they're not the ones who chose the, the World Cup be held in Qatar. Um, none of them will be feeling happy going there. Um, but you know, you still, you still want to do your bit for your country. So um, no, I, I feel really sorry for them. Um, but yeah, as 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 Nicky says. These things aren't going to go away during this World Cup, are they? No, they're not. They're not going away at all. We've got more to talk about, including Martin Guptill, the Black Ferns, and uh, we'll we'll touch on some supercars with Graham as well after the latest in news and sport. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Yeah, 28 away from 11 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo filling in for Smithy. Well, he is over calling the cricket in Australia for Fox. Uh, this is all brought to you by Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. We are on the panel with Nikki Styrus and Graham Beasley. And Nikki, I know that 
you know, uh, your other half um, had his time as a professional cricketer, um, but representing New Zealand and and playing in offshore tournaments. And when his time came at the, the the end of his career, I'm not sure how he was treated by New Zealand cricket. But what do you make of the way that Martin Guptill's been treated? We were talking about this yesterday in the office, actually, and um, I do remember um, back when Scott sort of was getting to that age and, you know, every game you're basically, you're on show. Um, and if you don't perform it, oh, you're too old, it's time to retire. So, you know, an awful lot of pressure does go on those players um, and it is, a, it is professional sport. So at the end of the day, you know, they want to make sure they've got the best people out there. But you also would hope that they are sort of... Um, well, they've given the respect that they deserve and I know there were times when Scott felt that, you know, the administration, the coaching staff didn't, you know, treat him the way he would have liked to have been treated um, as he neared the end of his career and I'm pretty sure Martin Guptill is probably feeling the same way. Clearly fallen out of favour with Gary Stead um, and uh, that basically meant that he's been dropped and chances of him actually coming back you know, um, uh, next to none. And so I don't blame Martin for doing what he's done. I just, um, I don't know, I kind of wish that New Zealand cricket had, had handled it slightly differently. Um, who knows what goes on behind closed doors? We don't know what Gary said has spoken to, to Martin Guptill about and what their relationship's like, so it wouldn't be right for me to speculate on that. However, Martin has to look after Martin, and I know Scott did the same thing. There are so many opportunities in, in world cricket now for New Zealand players and, and every player around the world that, and it's so lucrative that why would you sit there and go, well, I'll hold on to my contract and I'll go and I'll toil for, you know, um, Auckland Aces or, you know, ND and, and, and earn pittance when I can actually ply my trade at all these sort of overseas leagues and, you know, make a decent living in the twilight of my career. So it absolutely makes perfect sense. In a lot of ways, I think it's a bit of a win-win for Martin. It was just just a shame that, you know, we haven't seen, like, Ross Taylor got, you know, the sort of send-off that you would want from somebody who has given so much to the country mm. and, you know, entertained so many New Zealanders in, in world cricket. Yeah, well well said, Nicky Graham. I mean, it, there was a, a little bit of uh, the way that this was done, but you know, from Guptill, it was a, kind of had a bit of a middle finger to New Zealand cricket vibe about the way he bowed out. I don't know if you picked that up. Yeah, I thought there was a little bit of that. I thought it was quite predictable, you know, given he wasn't picked, particularly for the ODIs against Australia. I think we'd got a head around that um, uh, Alan was going to play in the in the T20s. So it was a bit of a surprise that he wasn't picked for the ODIs against um, against India. But I think once that choice was made, I think it was inevitable what he did. Um, so I don't know really how differently it could have been handled. I mean, you've got to give uh, NZ Cricket some credit for the fact that, you know, as soon as he said, I do want to rip up my contract, that they didn't push back on that or anything like that. Um, so I think it is better for, for both parties that he does that. And, of course, there are just so many T20 competitions around the world now. Yeah, you know, just, just in the last 12 months, there's been the one that's starting in the UAE, and now there's going to be one starting in the States. And both of them are funded by um, <coughs> IPL teams and uh, team owners. So that'll, that'll give both of those competitions a real, a real push. So, um, I mean, I, I think, for example, that he's, Martin Gupta will have a lot more options than, um, than Scott Styrus did in his time. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And I mean, you know, 
the other thing that I look at, I you know, they, they talk about um, how now he's torn up his contract. Obviously, the uh, we'll look at guys that are con- centrally contracted or domestically contracted, and they'll be given preference. And they say all of that, and, and you go, okay, well, that's fine. But if you look at the team, I mean, Jimmy Neesham is still in there, and he's not contracted to a province or, to, or centrally. So it seems like there's one rule for one and one for another, Nikki. Um, oh, look, I don't know that it's it's quite like that. I think basically you just take a risk as a player that you you won't get preference. They say that, but the reality is if they get injuries or the balance of the side requires it or they have the kudos that someone like Trent Bolt has, Martin Guptill has, and they'll sit down and they'll go, okay, we'll just have an injury to Finn Allen, so we're going to call Martin back in. So that's why I was saying it's a bit of a win-win for him. Mm. His days playing for New Zealand aren't necessarily over, and we all know that sport um, throws different things up, different scenarios up all the time, and cricket's particularly bad for that just because you do get injuries and you do get the different formats. And so I don't, I, I don't actually think it's a bad thing, and, and I, I think you'll see more players, especially of this um, older generation, giving up their contracts like Bolt has, like Nishan has, to Gronholm, you know, and Martin, and they'll go, you know, we're going we're gonna to take our chance because if we're good enough, you'll pick us, and we'll get to play the top stuff in New Zealand. And if we're not, we've got those overseas leagues, you know, that Graham was talking about. So we, you know, we we went on both fronts. Mm, yeah, no, no, that's that's fair. I mean, one of the uh, other conversations Graham has been around Kane Williamson being retained. I mean, I've been pretty vocal in saying that I think T Twenty's evolved past where his skill set is, um, and he's you know would have been better off having Guppy open the batting with Finn Allen, and then you have get Conway in at three, and you just don't play Williamson at all in, in T Twenty cricket, but. Uh, while that seems to be playing out in terms of his stats, uh, doesn't seem to be something that that Gary Stead wants to wants to consider. And, and you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that it's time for both Stead and Williamson to step away from T20 cricket and get someone else in there. Yeah, the problem is is, um, is that there's so much money in it. So you know, Williamson will want to keep on playing because if he stops playing T20 cricket, he's not going to be picked up in the IPL auction. Whereas I think at the moment, he, he, even though he'll be he'll be picked up at a lower rate, I think he still will get picked up in in that option um, auction. So it is a tricky one, but I mean it is a good point that uh, Martin Guptill hasn't retired. So I think that's the main reason that he can't have had that farewell tour against India like Taylor did. And if if Finn Allen has a poor ODI series against India, then I think there's a really good chance that Gupta will play against Sri Lanka in the ODIs. Which incidentally is during the IPL window, so um, there might be a few extra places there anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, potentially, we'll be interested to see what they end up doing there. Of course, those India ODIs not too far away from getting underway if we get rid of all this bloody rain. Uh, let's talk Black Ferns. Um, Wayne Smith's role as director of rugby, Nikki. Who do you think is best suited to take over that role? I mean, is it an Anna Richards, or do they need to look somewhere else? Oh, look, you know. I- I'm not really an expert when it comes to coaching uh, rugby, let alone women's rugby. I'm, I've been learning like the rest of the country has over the last sort of six months. Um, so I pr- I'm probably not that qualified to say. All I can say um, is that I guess that Wesley Clark and Alan Bunting have both been involved in that setup with Wayne Smith over the last um, six months, and they have seen his um, his unconventional style of coaching and what he's brought to that side. Um, from a, a way of thinking of the game, the sort of the, the mental aspects, the solution base, the courage to be different and all of that type of thing. And and they have been a part of that process. So I guess they could carry that forward if they were to be involved. 
However, it's also really important, as you say, to have um, the, you know, the female element because let's face it, women and men are very, very different. We're different the way we process, the way we, we I mean, you know, singing on a bus and as Wayne Smithy said, he, he had to adapt very quickly to this new style, um, you know, that women bring to the game. So you definitely have to have the female in there too, but I would be a little bit remiss to sit there and, you know, say who I think, you know, should be in that coaching setup. I just think a nice mix of someone who's been with the Wayne Smith crew and then maybe somebody fresh or, you know, somebody equally qualified on the female side. Mm. Uh, Graham, have you got a take on this? Yeah, I think pretty much the same. I think particularly in the short term it would be good to have continuity. So I'm wondering if Wes, Wes Clark might, might be the best person for that. Um, I'd certainly like... Um, Whitney Hanson to to stay in there um, because I think uh, ideally it would be good if she ended up being the head coach or or the director of rugby or whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd just think some continuity. Obviously they were extremely successful. They've learned off Wayne Smith. Maybe maybe even keep Smith's number on a bit of speed dial going on. You know mm. to ask him for a bit of assistance and mentoring and all that kind of stuff and just build on what they've um, what they've grown this year. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a consultancy role maybe uh, for for Wayne yeah. Smith on that. It was actually interesting, I thought, Nicky, that the you know some of the big names who have become household names off the back of this World Cup, the Porsche Woodmans, the Ruby Tuies, the Stacey Flewlers and that, um, haven't been drafted into Super Rugby. They've been let go back to sevens. I, I wonder if that was the right move from New Zealand Rugby, particularly if you're really wanting people to engage with Super Rugby, uh, Super Rugby Olpeki next season. Well, was that New Zealand Rugby's decision or was that their, the players' decision? That is a very good question, actually. That is a very good question. I assume that that conversation would have been between the players and New Zealand Rugby and this is the way it's gone. But, I mean, if you contracted to New Zealand Rugby, I would imagine they would have a fair bit of sway in exactly uh, where it is you play your rugby. Yeah, Graham, you might have a bit more knowledge on this. I, I'm, I'm not very sure. I mean, their preference might be to play sevens and maybe they said, look, we want to go back to the sevens circuit. Um, what, what are your thoughts, Graham? Yeah, no, no, I would say that's pretty correct, actually. And I think ultimately it would have been the players' choice. Um, you know, if they did want to go back to sevens, they'd be a bit miffed if they were um, forced to play Super Rugby. Um, and also remembering that the next Olympic sevens is before the next Rugby World Cup. Mm. So maybe everyone that plays and New Zealand Rugby thinks that the sevens should have... Um, a little bit of a focus over the next couple of years. Yeah, might be a money-driven thing, eh? funding uh, for, for Olympic success, potentially. Uh, good stuff, Nikki. Thanks very much for joining us on the panel today. Oh, my pleasure. It's always great to talk to you guys. Thank yeah. you. No worries. Go well. And, Graham, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about the supercars. Um, everything we were told last year is, don't worry, Pookie might be going, but supercars isn't going anywhere. Um, calendars released yesterday. Oh, look, there's no New Zealand supercars meet in 2023. Yeah, I mean, it's, it almost seems a bit FIFA-like, isn't it? Mm. You know, we were promised something and we didn't get it. Um, I mean, Hampton Downs is ready, isn't it? That's, that was my understanding, yeah. I, talk, I talked to uh, uh, Greg Murphy about this around sort of Pukekohe when that was happening, when was that back in September? And he said that pretty much, that that was, that was ready to go. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe they need a few sort of lower-profile events at Hampton Downs so we can get a bit more sort of street cred, if you excuse the pun. Um, on that and then they can go there but I, I mean I think we're, we're past the days of supercars being raced around cities mm. I think you know it, it, it does need to be a dedicated track um, and somehow they just need to get Hampton Downs 
in front of people's eyes. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think yeah, everything's there, ready to go. So no doubt there more will come out of this. So it makes it does make it feel like maybe there's more to this. Maybe it's a bit of a political football, uh, as I say. We'll have to see. Can I just ask you a quick question before I go, Ricardo? Sure. How pleased were you with that Costa Rican result? Oh, very. Very pleased. I don't know if I don't know if you heard the the promotion that we had running on the station for for a number of a uh, number of weeks, advertising that we had coverage, and it said uh, the thirty one best teams in the world and Costa Rica. Uh, yeah, I wrote that. So you can imagine how I was yeah. feeling when I saw that this morning. Yeah, that was quite a hammering, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I've got I mean, Chody on after eleven. I'm going to ask him if he thinks the All Whites would have done better. What do you reckon? I think that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I'm surprised that Costa Rica did so badly, actually. I would have thought that a side like that should be able to defend. I mean, I know that they're getting a bit long in the tooth, a bit past their best, but, you know, if, if you look at how they performed in the last couple of World Cups, they just haven't shipped many goals. And, and here to concede seven, um, I don't know, I'd, have, I'd be really interested to know how the All Whites would have gone last night. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a good one. It'd be one that we can uh, we can talk about for a while to come, I think, mate. Uh, Graham, thanks very much for coming on the panel today. Not a problem. Cheers. I'm Beasley from sportsfreak.co.nz. It is a quarter to 11. It's Harness Racing New Zealand pacing for purpose season two. Let's have a look at our pick this week for Harness Racing to raise funds for Women's Refuge. Looking at racing at Addington on Friday. So tomorrow night, it's, uh, the race starts at uh, 11 past 9. It is race 9, number 2, Sinbad. Number 2, Sinbad in race 9 tomorrow night at Addington. That is our pick. Uh, now, of course, any money raised uh, goes to Women's Refuge. So if our pick comes through, uh, then that money, those winnings, go to Women's Refuge. And I'm just looking at number two, Sinbad. It was relegated on Cup Data second, but it can win this for sure, is what I am told. And Sinbad, uh, driven by Mark Purden and trained by Purden-Cullen combination, is paying $1.40 uh, to win that. So there you go, there's your tip for harness racing. Pacing for purpose here uh, on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Of course, Smithy away at the moment uh, and through until Christmas, actually, but uh, you can get amongst it. We have raised so far, Foreman's Refuge here on Mornings, $437. Make sure you join Mick and Greg every Sunday from 11 for coverage of all the harness racing action from across New Zealand. It's called Trot's Talk, all thanks to the great New Zealanders at Harness Racing New Zealand. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing.NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. The Grand Tour Racing Festival is coming to you. Louis Herman Watt will be all amongst it. He is with us now. G'day, mate. How are you? Yes, good, Rick Dog. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Hey, you had a few texts uh, I've seen come through asking when the Quaddy Crush is going to start. Do you know? Yeah, I think we're kicking off this weekend. Perfect. Uh, all but certain. So um, I do have to get the sign off from the big man, Hutchie. But um, I reckon we're probably nearly ready to go. So I've been doing my homework. Although. The fields this weekend, I've had a look through them, they're wide open. So, yes, good weekend for a quaddy, tough weekend for a quaddy. But we'll be we'll be having a good dig. we got plenty of time, though. The last thing I want is panic, you know? 
we got so much time, we will jag one eventually. I was going to say, the uh, the weather that we're having at the moment, mate, there's lots of heavy tracks around. Does that change how you're looking at this? Yeah, it's a nightmare. It, it genuinely, I nearly swore then, because it, it genuinely eats me off, you know. You know lucky, you, lucky you're such a professional. Yeah, um, but it does. It, 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 it's frustrating, Rick, because, mm. like, today, for example, like, I mean, to be fair, Otaki in the central districts, like, you can kind of, expect you're going to get a... They've had that much rain down there. You know you kind of what you're going for. But I'm sure so many trainers this summer here, especially at Tarapa on Saturday, like, I don't know what they've got the track rated at the moment. The amount of rain we've had in Auckland, I assume it's heavy. And, I, I like, it, you know, trainers have been waiting. The winter feels like it's gone on and on. We're in late November, for goodness sake. Like, late November. Summer is literally a week away or so. What are we going to do? Just keep racing on heavy tracks? Eventually, the weather needs to turn and turn for good because it's hard. It's hard for trainers. It's hard for owners having their horses scratched out, having to miss races, and then, you know, that puts them, makes them step back and they miss the, the key race they're looking for. It is, it's hard, Rick. Dog. Anyway, Otaki today, and there's group racing. So go to tab.co.nz, loveracing.nz, and have a look through the fields, have a bet responsibly, and... It's a great day to get amongst Thoroughbreds. Yeah, indeed it is. Good stuff, Louis. Go well, mate, and uh, look forward to hearing you on Brecky tomorrow morning. See you, brother. Bye. Cheers. Uh, eat, drink, and get racy. Round up your crew and book now at uh, thegrandtour.nz. And, yeah, just having a look at what uh, Louis was saying at uh, Sarapa on Saturday. Yeah, currently the track is heavy, and I'm looking at the forecast for Hamilton. They're supposed to be having the cricket there on Sunday. Showers Sunday, but supposed to be fine on Saturday. So uh, that is good news. Coming up after 11, David Choate is going to join us, and we are going to talk more World Cup football. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Four past 11 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. He is away for the rest of the year. Calling cricket over in Australia for Fox Sport and keeping real busy too. Coming up uh, this hour, we're going to catch up with David Choate, the uh, former All-White who is part of the SENZ call team alongside Daniel McCarty for the FIFA World Cup and the Phoenix. Of course, we'll t- catch up with him on the way things have played out overnight, the four matches that we have seen and uh, forecast maybe into tomorrow as well. And we'll also have a opportunity, an opportunity for you to uh, jump in and win a $50 TAB bonus bet with Stumped. And we'll give you a, a dog to back as well in the uh, Greyhound uh, Racing New Zealand charity run. Uh, we put uh, funds, all those funds raised to Women's Refuge. Um, now, one of the big games overnight that we'll talk to Chody about was... Germany versus Japan. It ended Germany 1, Japan 2. Give me an option. And there is the option. Rams it. Edge of the six-yard box goes down by the keeper. And penalty given. Takes one, two deep breaths. Steps up, sends the keeper the wrong way. Germany are in front. After 32 minutes, 
The penalty beautifully taken by Gudegaard has put Germany 1-0 up and against the Japanese. We'll see our beautiful chip ball. This should be, oh, great save. The shot came on from Hoffman, the substitute. And keeper saves for a second time. They're peppering. Musiala, left side. Ram sends the cross in. And again, a third time. And Glaby had two opportunities to score. And both times, a brilliant save by Gonda, who's been outstanding. The charge on Mitoma. Again, Perry put in the back of the net by Mi Yes, it is the equaliser. He's been absolutely mobbed. It was coming for Japan in the last five minutes. Itikura. Asano. Asano. Yes! What a goal! And oh, one of the goals of the World Cup already. And they've turned the game on its head. Unbelievable. Sends it in. Gonda stays on his line. And in the end, it fell with an opportunity there for Sula. And the Japanese players go as one, two of them or three, down on the ground, saying, we've got cramp. And there's a shot, and it just goes wide. An opportunity there for Germany. The ball came down. It was hit first time. And it just went wide. Is it going to blow now? It is! Monumental moment for Japan. Tokyo would be going off. Japan, of course, one of the great upsets in beating four-time World Cup winners Germany in a come-from-behind performance for the ages. Yeah, big win for the Japanese, and uh, where to next for the Germans? They were knocked down in group uh, play in Russia in 2018 as well, and they only made the round of 16 at the Euro, so a lot of work to be done for the Germans. We also had this morning uh, the Canadians, who were the top qualifiers out of CONCACAF ahead of Mexico and the US take on Belgium. Penalty to the Canadians. Referee Tsukwese points to the spot. The Canadian fans roar jump for joy it's party time in the stands and a yellow card also awarded to Yannick Carrasco a chance to put Canada ahead a, a chance to itch his name in Canadian folklore he comes forward shot safe rebound is hit over the bar he misses Courtois safe strong hand diving low to his right a pretty tame penalty it has to be said as they play forward now. Yeah, nice ball through the centre four channel. Mitchell Bachawaii thumps it with the left foot on the half volley into the back of the net. And just like that, Belgium show their class and are in front by one goal to nil. Yeah, the Magnificent Seven, that is what we haven't covered yet. David Cho joins us. G'day, Chody, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, app music, seven for seven for Spain, I pick. Yeah, indeed, mate. 7-0 over the Costa Ricans, and I've been teasing it all morning. The first question I have for you is, would the All-Whites have performed better against Spain than Costa Rica did? 
it was running through my mind the whole game. I was trying to say, if this was us, would we be getting toweled up like um, the, the, the Spanish are capable of doing? I think I'm pretty glad we weren't there because, honestly, Spain looked looked outstanding. Costa Rica were, 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 were nowhere near good enough. In fact, looked out of their depth. Um, I think we might have stood up a bit tougher than, than Costa Rica did, but um, taking on a Spain side in full flow... Um, that is uh, not the easiest task in world football, as was uh, evidenced this morning. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I would have thought we would have been beaten by Spain, but I don't didn't see us losing 7-0. I mean, Costa Rica gave the Spanish nothing to worry about, completely freed up their fullbacks to go forward. Uh, I mean, the way they played really invited Spain onto them and was, it was the cause of most of their own problems. Yeah, and look, they had, I think, 80% possession. I mean, if you're going to give Spain that much ball... You're going to cop it. Um, seven goals um, is a hiding in anyone's language. And uh, Costa Rica uh, got a, an absolute walloping. Spain were good, though. Uh, they looked really classy. And um, the goal from Cavi um, was scored by the second youngest player ever. Only player younger to score than Cavi at a World Cup was the wonderful and uh, Pelé, the greatest of all time, I think. Um, so uh, they've got talent to burn, have the Spanish. Young players coming on stream. They look like a side that could go deep into the tournament. Yeah, indeed they do, mate. They look uh, they look very good. Uh, on the flip side, the Germans lost two one to the Japanese, uh, and they look toothless up front, don't they? Germany they they really look like they lack goals. I know Timo Werner, yeah. um, you know, can't you know generally sprays a few, but uh, without him, they they sort of look a bit lost. And you know, Kai Havertz is not a number nine. Yeah, correct. Um, Havertz does that job for Chelsea, and he doesn't do it that well. I don't think it's not his natural place. They have quality throughout the Germans in terms of their players, but I don't know they've got the right sort of balance and the right shape. I don't know who leads the line for them to take another World Cup. Remember, these guys are perennial uh, performers at World Cups, but they didn't look um, great today. Normal service was going well enough at halftime when they went 1-0 up, but um, those two goals to Duane and Osano, uh, the second one in particular is a worldie of a strike. Both of those guys play their football in Germany, um, so they knew lots about their opposition. But if you're a Japanese fan, it doesn't get better than rolling Germany coming from behind and taking all the points. No, if, I mean, I know they got knocked out of the group stage for the very first time in 2018. I'm pretty sure it was a loss to Korea, South Korea that did that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. They, <laughs> Germany have done this before. Um, and again, losing your first game actually isn't a signal that you're out of the cup. In fact, uh, there's been plenty through history who lose their opener and go on to, to play deep in the tournament. Um, the other interesting thing about this one, Japan only had 26% of possession. So look at a side like Costa Rica who tried to live without the ball. Japan were more than comfortable without the ball and then hit teams on the break uh, with quality strikes like the ones we talked about. So uh, fantastic result for the Japanese. Yet another boil over in the opening days of this World Cup. Yeah, I, I was just uh, thinking back to 2010 when uh, that Spanish team lost the opener 1-0 to Switzerland and went on and won the World Cup. So it's a, that's that's one example. But the Germans, uh, they have to get past that Spanish team. They're in the same group, and I, I don't see them getting anything out of that game. Yeah, well, that group now looks really tight. In fact, uh, the, the two groups that played this morning become very sort of congested, and you wonder what goes on. One result, like the Japan result, throws the cat among the pigeons. It means that Good teams have to beat each other. Sometimes you get into the the area where both teams can afford a draw. Well, now Germany probably have to go and win both games to be assured. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how this group plays out. But that's the wonderful thing about the World Cup for mine. Uh, the good teams can go early 
uh, and the cream will rise to the top over the next three or four weeks. Now, you are a Chelsea fan. You mentioned Kai Havertz not being a number nine. You guys uh, have had a bloke called uh, Bat Shui on your books for, it seems like, forever. Um, he never seems to play for you. Uh, but he turned out uh, up all right for Belgium today. Uh, was the difference against Canada? Yeah, I've always considered him the nearly man. He was sort of at Chelsea for a long time, but he nearly made the starting eleven. He was never really the go-to striker. He, he, he was always sort of playing the second fiddle. And same for Belgium, typically. Romelu Lukaku out injured. He probably wouldn't have started, um, but he took his one chance and he took it really well. Um, but if you watch this one, Canada, who are not a powerhouse of football and they're coached by John Herdman, who actually became the first manager to coach both in the Women's and Men's World Cup, and he coached the New Zealand Women's uh, side at two World Cups previously. He can be really proud of his Canada side. They threw everything at Belgium. Belgium took the win. But if it was a points match, um, Canada would have won on points. They had most of the chances. They just lacked the uh, finishing quality that Batshuayi showed. Yeah, that was interesting, the penalty that they were given, that, um, that Davies ended up taking it rather than um, Jonathan David, who's been you know one of the top scorers in French League football for the last three seasons. Yeah, bizarre. Bizarre, because um, a good penalty taker doesn't take it. One who's not known for penalties takes it. And you're up against Thibaut Courtois, probably the most... Um, uh, formidable of goalkeepers from the penalty spot. He looks huge in that goal. Mm. I said uh, to somebody, yeah, look how big he looks. He's massive. Um, and the penalty was uh, at an ideal height, easily saved. And for a side like Canada, who were doing so well, they came out of the blocks and threw everything at Belgium. To miss a penalty, you almost know it's written in the stars. It's not going to be your day. They live to rue that miss because uh, 1-0 is the slenderest of uh, losses. Yeah, should they have had another penalty, though? They looked very much like a nailed-on one. I couldn't believe that the referee didn't go to VAR for it. Yeah, um, it, 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 it was... Um, the VAR decisions are a bit interesting. Um, I hadn't seen a match stop sort of mid-flight because clearly the first one, um, his hand was out from the body and, and, and it was nailed on um, for the first one. The second one, yeah, I think you could argue it. But I've seen a couple given and a couple not this world. Yeah, I mean, that, that looked more like a penalty than the first one, I thought. Well, has Chody gone down, Chody's gone down a, a a tunnel, I think? We've lost him. We've lost David Choate. Hopefully we can get him back. A couple of things that we want to uh, still to talk about. Uh, a couple of texts that have come through. Uh, guys, how do you think the New Zealand versus India ODIs play out? Uh, predictions, please. That's from Kyle. Well, Kyle, I'll tell you what. I'd be surprised if we get results from any of them because tomorrow in Auckland, the forecast is terrible. Sunday in Hamilton, the forecast is terrible. And according to the Met Service 10-day forecast, uh, next Wednesday in Christchurch is rain as well. So... I'm not holding my breath that we're going to get a lot of action, but we'll see. Hopefully uh, the Met Service have this wrong. Uh, sorry, Jody, we lost you mid-answer there, mate. Um, we were just talking about uh, that second pen- whether or not they should have had a second penalty because uh, it looked more like a penalty than the first one. Yeah, uh, VAR has become a roll of the dice, I think is what I was saying. Um, uh, interpretation is everything they talk about is the hand away from the body. The first one, yes, it was away from the body, but it was almost point blank. Um, slow it down to 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 the min, you know to the minutes they do. Um, you always worry which way the decision is going to go, and it seems to be random which way it does go. I think good argument for perhaps another penalty, another reason for John Herdman to be um, a little bit uh, upset. Although I do think Martinez, the manager for Belgium, who took the points, 
will be the least happy of the managers. I don't think he'll be very pleased with that performance from Belgium. No, uh, and they've gotten uh, gotten away with one. And, of course, the other game in that group, which we haven't talked about yet, Morocco-Croatia. Nil all I had Croatia winning this. I thought it would be tight, but uh, they did look like they had the edge on Morocco. They just couldn't uh, put a ball in the back of the net. Yeah, Morocco will be the happier of the two on the run of play, and if you offered them a point. The first game of the round, I think a lot of teams just don't want to lose because it puts you in the sort of uh, the back seat, if you like. You can stay in the driver's seat, keep your destiny in your control if you uh, even take a point away. I thought Croatia would win. I thought their midfield with Modric, Kovacic and Brozovic would be too good and too much um, too much any and they would energy, they would recycle the ball and wear Morocco down. Wasn't much doing in this one. This is one of those boring score draws that sometimes the World Cup throws up. Mm, yeah, that's what it looked like. Uh, now tomorrow, uh, we're going to get to see the rest of the teams. That'll mean we've seen everybody play. Um, is there anything um, that you're looking at tomorrow that you go, that's the game that I have to watch? Well, it's not a World Cup without watching Brazil. They've been at every one of them, 22 in total, so they're always there. And um, When Brazil play, there's always something to watch. So I think that's a, a really good match to watch. Brazil-Serbia tomorrow, the last one of the uh, of the four. And the other thing to watch tomorrow, Portugal Ghana. couple of reasons. You can watch the Ronaldo show go on. It's a circus at the moment. So all about Ronaldo. Will he cause um, Portugal to explode or implode? Who knows? Uh, we'll watch that one. But the other reason I like that match, it's versus Ghana. Portugal Ghana, there's about 12 Premier League players playing in this one. So it's like a Premier League cl- clash. So plenty of familiar faces uh, with Man City and Man United well represented in the Portugal side. And then uh, Ghana, they have the IUs, the parties, the Lamptys, the Amatis. They all ply their trade in the Premier League. So that's a good one to watch. What's it round out with? Uruguay, South Korea? You'd think Uruguay won it. And if you're looking for a draw, I suppose Switzerland versus Cameroon. Um, that looks like a draw to me. Cameroon ranked outside the top 30, but uh, Switzerland at 16 would be favoured. Yeah, you'd think so. They're paying a buck 72, Cameroon five bucks. This is the multi I chucked together, David. I don't know uh, what you think of this. Give us your thoughts. Uh, Neymar, anytime goal scorer against Serbia at two bucks. Darwin Nunez, anytime goal scorer against South Korea at 250. And Portugal head-to-head against Ghana at a buck 40. Yeah, I like it. Um, both Nunez and uh, Neymar would be a good bet to get amongst the goals. And you've got to think that Portugal will go good. Just... Watch for the Ronaldo factor. Who knows what he's going to do? Well, he's going to join Chelsea, mate, is, uh, is what I'm hearing. Todd Bowley loves him. Thomas Tuchel didn't want him, but now that he's not there, I think uh, Graham Potter might be, uh, might be it might be tough cheese, mate. Here's this bloke. You've got to play him. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm a bit worried about that. I think Todd Bowley might be a bit like Ted Lasso, um, <laughs> you know, the, the guy who, <laughs> who who runs the football club on TV. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful we don't sign... Uh, Ronaldo, look, he's been the greatest of all time in terms of his Manchester United days and his, his overall contribution, but he's behaving like a right goose at the moment for mine. And I don't think, um, I don't think um, any side's going to race to get Ronaldo right now. No, I agree with you, mate. I agree with you. Good stuff, Chody. Thanks very much, mate. And uh, good work on the call with McCarty this morning too. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, love love talking the round ball. It's all good. It's all good. David Choate with us there, part of the SENZ call team here for the World Cup. Of course, we do have all the radio commentaries from the World Cup uh, through David uh, Choate and Daniel McCarty and our Australian call teams as well. It is 20 past 11 here on SENZ.
Differently, uh, we've got Sammy Hewitt in the studio to, to talk Spark Sport. What's coming up on Spark Sport, mate? Of course, last month was uh, absolutely overflowing with sport with the Rugby League World Cup, the Women's oh, Rugby yeah. World Cup, all the rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we move on. We're in November. We've got a ton of American sport on and also the Black Caps. We do. Actually, the Black Caps is, is really the highlight, although uh, weather is not playing its part at the moment. Or maybe it is playing its part. Maybe it's just doing what it always does, Ricardo and... Uh, <laughs> We were silly for thinking a series in November was going to work. But anyway, yeah, uh, we have the first ODI, actually, which is tomorrow, 2 p.m. start time, nice little day-nighter, um, which you can watch on Spark Sport. Uh, where, where are they playing that one, actually? It's I at think. Eden Park. It's, oh, it's at, it's at the Garden. It's at the Garden of Eden, mate. Yeah, brilliant. Um, now, I was looking – let me just double go back and double-check because I was looking at the forecast. That's mm-hmm. Christchurch. Yes. Uh, let's go to Auckland, uh, the 10-day forecast. So today we've got showers all day. Uh, but tomorrow it is supposed to be uh, showers in the morning and then fine afternoon and evening. So hopefully yeah. they, they've got some decent drainage in there and we get a game. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, and I do love a Saturday day-nighter. be a good chance to get down to – sorry, a Friday night day-nighter, a good chance to get down to Eden Park after work. Um, I don't know. If you were going after work, would you prefer that we batted or bowled first? Because then obviously. First. Bold first year, get the get the second innings with the bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah I want to see us hit sixes, see us hit sixes. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, it's a good way to spend your Friday night, bit of fireworks as well. Um, and then of course they got the Sunday, the second games on Sunday as well. That starts at two o'clock. I always want to say kickoff. What are you saying, cricket? Um, yeah, first point. ball, first ball, first ball first is ball. at two o'clock. Yeah, that sounds a little bit too proper though. Yeah, I want something a bit more colloquial. You yeah, know, kick off. That, that doesn't sound, sound so colonial. Bold, bowl off. I don't know. Uh, bowl, but anyway, off, yeah, <laughs> it does sound a bit colonial. Now. Um, so we have uh, black caps. We've got cricket over the weekend, which is great. Um, we also have uh, the Australian PGA Championship, and uh, I think Ryan Fox is actually playing in that mm, one as well. Is, yeah, um, and Adam Scott. And the two, I this was one of the best stories I read yesterday. Yeah, and um, it makes me very happy because I always get confused. I did used to get confused seeing the name Cameron Smith pop up on golf leaderboards, yeah. thinking and, and being an Australian as well. It, yeah. There was mass confusion. And yesterday they put them in the pro am together, or is that today? They put they've put them in the pro am together. Cameron Smith and Cameron Smith. Correct. And so I said to staff yesterday, "What a great result for the rugby league, Cam Smith, because." No matter how bad you shoot, you just take whatever the other Cam Smith score is and you just tell everyone that was you. <laughs> you take a screenshot, it's got your flag next to it as well. Yeah. No one's, no one's going to watch the footage, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah. So, but, but the actual uh, tournament proper, um, once again, kicks off. Uh, tease off. Te- tease off. Tease yeah. off at uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, tomorrow afternoon, sorry. Tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon. afternoon. Yeah. Uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. So, yeah. Hopefully Foxy gets amongst it. Yeah, I think he'd have, he'd have a royal chance, wouldn't he? Foxy, there's some big names there. Mm. But, um, you know, he's had a great season, sort of coming back down home. Um, yeah, good chance for him to, to nab another one. Yeah, exactly. And he's been playing in competitive fields, whereas yet yep. guys like Cam Smith who are coming off the live tour, which is basically like the Harlem Globetrotters of golf, right? True, that's very true. So, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know how uh, – it'd be interesting to see how, if that's affects them at all. wonder if Cam Smith walks around with just like wads of cash in his pocket just – Probably. Flaunting it a little bit, you know. Probably. This sort of drops out. Like, oh, whoops! Yeah, sorry, I forgot to bank that one last night. He'll yeah. be doing that thing where he, you know, he lights his cigars with a hundred dollar bill. Oh, is that that sounds like a very Floyd Mayweather? <laughs> yeah. Sam, wouldn't you if you had a four million dollar payday for coming second? Uh, I probably would actually. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to um, smoke cigars for a start, yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then I could use the money to light it up. So uh, we'll keep our um, eyes on um, Foxy over in Australia. I don't think they're going to be affected by whether it's up in Queensland, isn't it? 
Uh, I don't know I if they get. It was in, I thought it was in Melbourne, but I could be wrong. Yeah, up in Queensland, I think. I oh, know um, it is live from Brisbane. Spring yep. weather. Uh, I don't know what it's like up there, but hopefully it's a bit better than here. And uh, then we have all our smattering, uh, smattering of NBA games, which uh, we've got um, Hornets 76ers this afternoon, actually. Uh, and then over the weekend, got Bucks Cavaliers, got Suns Jazz on Sunday, Hawks Heat on Monday, and of course some. NFL on Monday morning. Yeah. So, um, look, you might have thought that with all these World Cups finishing up, Rick, that uh, Sparksport going on hiatus, but nah, there is still a lot to uh, to sink your teeth into. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, lot, lots of subscription. And I'll tell you actually the other thing that flies under the radar on Sparksport that I do like to check out, especially with the FIFA Women's World Cup here in Australia um, yep. next year, mm-hmm. they have the Women's Super League out of England. They which do, is yeah, like they the, do. The, the Premier League for Women's Football. They do. And there's a few Kiwis running around in that, so it's yeah. always good to have a look yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, and I like, um, I think you're right, I like watching those just from time to time to see what the, the sort of taste of what you're going to get next year. Um, so yeah, yeah, good stuff from Sparksport. Lots, lots still to uh, you know to, to have on your radar, and I think there's going to be plenty more as well as we head into a very busy summer of cricket. As, oh, we've got as a well. couple of texts through. Oh, go tournament on. started this morning. First oh, round is underway. Foxy's one over. Adam Scott's leading at four under. And I'll tell you why, and that's because my glasses aren't clean. Because on my sheet here, it says uh, it's it does say day one. You say so. What so what were the scores? Uh, I just said Fox is one over, and Adam Scott is leading at four under. Like the text that I've had, four under. Okay, Foxy can get back from that. Yeah, he can get back from that. There you go. So uh, this month on Spark Sport, catch the Black Caps v India, NBA, NFL, the Aussie PGA as well. It is all happening. Uh, it is time uh, to give us a call. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. A fifty dollar TAB bonus bet could be yours with Stumped. 1476am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time for Stumped here on SENZ Mornings by Ian Smith. Subbed in is Ricardo Ball, though, the backup wicketkeeper. Uh, I know you, you, you didn't even have to put your gloves back in, in the bag. You just throw back into it. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Smithy back for a week, then uh, back to earn some moolah over in Aussie uh, with Fox Sport. I will say, though, Smithy dropped an amazing idea on us uh, the other day that perhaps while you're in the chair, that we retool things, especially with the FIFA World Cup going on, Mm. that it's not stumped and it's more like a penalty shootout. It's a good idea. I like it. Yeah. So do we go with five questions then, like in a penalty shootout? <laughs> yeah, something like that. I think we need to retool it. I'll, I'll, I'll need to make a few more bells and whistles, but maybe that's something we can uh, have going on uh, next week. But for today, first day back, great to have you back, Ricardo. $50 TAB uh, bonus bet up for grabs here. And first at the crease, friend of the show, Zaid from Auckland. Come in, mate. Uh, good morning. Uh, oh, not not Zaid, mate. He's my he's my uh, kryptonite. Last time he was on, I didn't even get to say anything. He just answered all three questions. <laughs> Ricardo, do you think the um, Cameroon Switzerland game will be a draw tonight? Um, hard to know. I don't think that Cameroonian team is that good. I think the Swiss will be alright. I reckon the Swiss will probably win it, maybe like two nil. So you just go Switzerland head to head, maybe then. Yeah, that's what I'd do. Yeah. Sweet, I'm out of that. Thank you. Yeah, no problem at all. <laughs> no problem at all. Lock it in, mate. Lock it in. Yeah, everyone's taking tips from uh, Ricardo in the FIFA World Cup. I'll, t- I'll tell you that, mate. So good luck to you. All right, these are the topics for you to choose from today, Zaid. We've got softball, golf, and rugby league. Uh, 
The only one out of there about the rugby league, so I'll give that a go. <laughs> All right, mate. Good luck. Ricardo loves his rugby league too, so I'm sure he's happy about that. First question for you, Zaid. Joey Manu and Racine McGregor were named Golden Boots for 2022, making Joey the sixth Kiwi and Racine the first Kiwi Fern to win the title. Can you name the first Kiwi winner of the Golden Boot? The first ever? Yes. I know this might be a little bit before your time or mine. Uh, I don't know. Um, Stacey Jones, but it probably won't be. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Little General's always a good guess when it comes to mm, boots. Yeah, uh, so this is World Cup history. Have they been doing this since the start of the Rugby League World Cup? Yeah, this one, uh, <laughs> it, it, like I said, it goes back a while. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go Mark Graham. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 1987, Hugh McGann. Ah, all right. I was on the right track, just wrong, the wrong bloke. <laughs> uh, that's how it is and stuffed. All right, second question for you, Zaid. Who scored the most points for the Kiwi Ferns in the recent Rugby League World Cup? I'll go Racy McGregor. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, you think um, winning the Golden Boot? She would, actually. Uh, good guess. Ricardo? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of our goal kicker because I don't think Racine was kicking all the goals, was she? Um, who was playing at fullback for us? That's the question. Uh, I'm going to have to pass. I've, I've, I've been drawing a blank. Okay. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. As uh, Richard Vienna said there, yeah, Brianna Clark was the answer I was looking for. There you go. No, no, that wouldn't have been my answer anyway, so there you go. All right, Zaid, you, you, let's say you're doing it easy here, mate. Yeah, I'll say. All right, last question for you, Zaid. $50 TAB bonus beer up for grabs. The most points scored by an individual at the Rugby League World Cup was 62. This is the Women's Rugby League World Cup. What team does that player represent? I'll say Australia. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, I'm glad it wasn't a Jillaroo. Yeah, no, it was uh, uh, It was one of the English players, wasn't it? Was that the game against Brazil? Just give me the country. I'm going to say England. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, that's right. Tara Jane Stanley for England. There you go. Sorry, Zaid. Saved by Ricardo. Ian's called it. Saved by Ricardo. Pretty sure that was Smithy's idea. (laughs) (laughs) Ian was the one. Actually, is that Smithy texting in? It just says Ian. Well, it could be. be. (laughs) Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Those questions are pretty hard. A bit too too much on the Women's World Cup. I don't know too much about that. It's all right. We'll uh, we'll pass that feedback on to uh, our third umpire, Brian (laughs) Lardy. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Good stuff, Zaid. Unlucky, mate. What else are you looking at in the the games overnight? Did Did you like the multi that I put out before? You said uh, Darwin Nunez and um, Neymar. Yeah, to both score, they're paying two. Uh, Darwin Nunez two fifty, Neymar two bucks, and then Portugal head to head at a buck forty. Yeah, seven bucks all up it comes to make it on, get amongst. Okay, well, thank you, Jess. All right, mate. You're obviously going to back Switzerland uh, to beat Cameroon as well. Where's the Where's the football World Cup questions? That's what I want to know, Brian Lardetti. Come on, 
What's going on? Well, maybe. Maybe we'll see. Uh, I mean, tomorrow. I know that's in your warehouse, mate, but we can't always make it easy for you, can we? Well, no, yeah, of course you can. Um, <laughs> I, in fact, I reckon what you should do is you should do three categories that are all World Cup, just slightly different. You know, this World Cup, the last World Cup, World Cup history, goalkeepers in World Cups. Oh, gosh. That sort of thing. I reckon uh, we'll just do that for the whole tournament. Yeah, well, I know we do have a few golf fans that listen to the show, and I, I can't wait for when they pick that, because I have a feeling they'll destroy. Oh, yeah, easily. So like when, when you gave, gave those out, it said softball, golf, and rugby league, I was like, I hope he picks rugby league. Because, yeah, my, my golf and softball knowledge aren't, aren't, aren't massive. Aren't massive, it's got to be said. Uh, it is 20 away from 12 here on SENZ. Uh, mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier, Ricardo Ball, in for him. And uh, we are going to have a look at the Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run next. And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. All right, each week we try to raise funds for charities across New Zealand, uh, all thanks to Greyhound Racing New Zealand. The charity for this show is Women's Refuge, and uh, we are lacking, to be fair. We've only raised $82.50 so far this year. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's, a, it's a little embarrassing, isn't it? Staff, staff 1265 for his charity, leaving us in the dust. Brecky, 47750 477.50, that is a drive 267.50. Um, so, yeah, we're well behind. We need a win. We need a win. And we could get it today. Uh, looking at Cambridge, 127 this afternoon, so about an hour and a half away or so. Uh, race six, number two, chased me down. Fastest personal best in the last start, higher grade two. Uh, better than it appears on paper. It's had a couple of seconds recently. And I'll tell you what, the market is following it too. Uh, trained by Peter Ferguson, chased me down, opened at threes, it's into $2.50. So there you go, get on that. Uh, that is what we're looking at for our Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run pick for today. Make sure you tune into SENZ every Sunday from midday for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed as well, hosted by two legendary Greyhound experts and Mark Rosanowski and Dan Roberts. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. A couple of texts have come through on double eight double three. That is our temper bedpost text machine. Uh, Morena Rick Dog regarding the multi was the Uruguay goal scorer to be Jose Jimenez. Uh, thanks, David, at Blackpool. No, mate, it's uh, Darwin Nunez. Darwin Nunez is the player, the Liverpool striker. Uh, and no name on this text. It's kind of come out of the blue a little bit, Logan, but uh, this is something that you were talking to me about this morning. The text says, you can't trust the Aussies. Look at the Breakers' travel schedule. Ask the NBL about that. Uh, now, I know Moa Modi was trying to have a whinge without having a whinge, so he didn't get fined. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, Modi has just had another kid, so he's uh, been a bit careful about where he uh, spends his cash and doesn't <laughs> want to spend it on uh, fines there by being too critical of the NBL, uh, NBL. But, man, you just think about it. You travel to Tasmania for a Friday game. Yep. Uh, of course, no direct flights there. And then you have a game, or like Sunday four four p.m. and with a bit of delays and everything going on there. Of course, you know, can't have smooth sailing across the ditch. They arrived home Sunday three a.m. on game day. So I mean, the fact that they powered through, and you know, like the eight and three now, they're doing amazing. And then, of course, now same thing this weekend. They're going to Cairns. 
So you got to fly to Brisbane, then fly up to Cairns, play that game against the Taipans, hopefully destroy them again, and then uh, jump back uh, home for another Sunday game. And it's just like, come on, man. Like, just think about it. Think about the scheduling. It is just like we talk about, you know, the Aussie leagues wanting to maybe pay a bit more uh, love and respect and a bit, give a bit of koha to, uh, <laughs> to the New Zealand teams for propping things up during the pandemic. I've definitely seen very little of that. I feel like maybe the A-League are the only ones that are really kind of doing it. I don't know about I don't know how you feel about that, Ricardo. But with the with the NBL, it's just like again and again, rinse and repeat. And it's like if you're going to do a double weekend of games for the Breakers, do it where they play Melbourne United or Southeast Melbourne, yeah. or go to play the Sydney um, Kings or Illawarra Hawks. Maybe the Brisbane Bullets. I'm not sure if there's direct flights to Adelaide, but just I do think that. You have to go. You have to reroute through uh, Melbourne, Melbourne. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. So. I don't know why they're doing it this way. I know putting schedules together for leagues are complicated. But you would think that they would, you know, from, from a team that's got to travel to for Perth and for New Zealand, uh, you know, if you're going to play the Bullets, that's when you'd play the Taipans as well. You'd do that weekend swing away. Yeah. Uh, that, that would make sense. But, you know, sports administration are making sense. Don't always go hand in hand, Logan. No, like, like that text said, don't, don't uh, trust the Aussies. And I mean, same thing with supercars, right? It's so political. And just because Hampton Downs is just a, across the border and in the Waikato, not in Auckland. So, you know, people, their hands are tied a little bit there. So it's disappointing. I mean, I know motorsport fans are probably feeling it. I, I feel you. I just really hope that supercars does come back in 2024. Yeah, fingers crossed. I know um, Stephen McIver is probably going to have something on that. I think he's in for staff today after midday. Um, so we'll get him in shortly to have a chat on that. Just having a look at the uh, the Australian PGA leaderboard. So, um, yeah, Aaron Scott through 10 is four under. Here's a, a shot clear um, of uh, a Dane, uh, Robert Huygards. And then you go back uh, from a New Zealand point of view. Fox is tied for 25th. He's into even, so he's pulled a shot back, tied with Cameron Smith. There you go. They're both tied for 20, at 25 uh, even, but uh, still half the field to tee off. It is 10 away from midday. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91